At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward, even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Journey Beyond Divorce with Karen McMahon and special guest Carrie Doubts. We've been walking you through Journey Beyond Divorce's 12-step divorce recovery program, and today is step five. Divorce is a death, the vital importance of grieving well. And we welcome back Karen McMahon and Carrie Doubts. How are you? Hey, Steve. How are you doing today? Awesome. Carrie, how are you? Good. I'm doing great. I'm really excited about today's topic because it's one that so many people uh, don't really give the full strength and value to that it deserves. And having Carrie with us today is particularly exciting because Carrie is not only a divorce coach, but she also specializes in grief. She's a grief counselor and a grief coach. And so she just brings a tremendous amount of wisdom and experience to today's topic. So let's just jump right in, Carrie. You want to get us started? Sure. That sounds great. So I'm delighted to be here to speak with you about this topic. It's certainly one of my favorite. And you may be wondering, you know, why is this show about grief? And, you know, believe me, there is a reason why we're talking to you about this today. Because divorce is the death. It is the death of your marriage and all the hopes and dreams that you had of living happily ever after on the day that you got married. So it surprises people when they find themselves experiencing grief and all that comes with that when the marriage ends. And we're going to talk about that and sort of guide you through that so you have a better understanding about what grief is, how it affects you, and how you can help yourself move through it. So what is grief? No, grief is the normal reaction to loss, and it affects you physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. Yeah, and I I think that when we're going through divorce, there's this sense that uh, there's so much else going on. And then so often, I know clients will say to me, like, I don't know why I'm back here again. You know, I, I don't understand. I, I thought I was past this. And it's it's all of the really heavy and difficult emotions. And today's show is really to talk about how whatever you're feeling, whenever you're feeling it, It is part of the grief process. It is normal. And when you allow yourself the time and space to have those feelings, you help yourself heal and move forward. Absolutely. Grieving is a critical step to navigating your divorce. And so that's why it's important to recognize and to acknowledge that you're grieving. And like you said, Karen, to give yourself the time 
and the space to grieve your losses. And then at that point, you know, you do have more energy available to you to adapt to your divorce and to move forward into your life. And and I think the other key thing to keep in mind is the way you grieve is going to be as unique as your fingerprint. We all grieve differently. There are people who move quickly. There are people who feel it right away. There are other people who it hits them a bit down the road. And so there's no comparing. There's no value in comparing. There's nothing um, that you should be judging in this. It's simply you're going to navigate this the way the way that is right for you and really to let go of the judgment and to step into, okay, this is what's happening right now. And this is what I'm feeling right now, that, that that's the best way that you could approach um, this, this process. Yeah. And, you know, I hear so many of my clients, especially at the beginning, they say to me, you know, I feel like I'm doing it wrong. I can't understand why I feel this way. I feel like I'm going crazy. Um, And so this is really just to assure you that you're not going crazy. You're going through something that's understandable, that's normal, and um, that's a huge step into coming into acceptance of your process and where you are. So there's a huge range of emotions that we experience in the death of our marriage. And you may experience all of them, some of them, you know, and we're going to talk about the stage work that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did. This is groundbreaking work that she did in understanding the process that goes someone goes through when they're dying. And this actually, it does, um, since we're talking about the divorce as, in a way, a death, a symbolic death of the marriage, it really relates to what we're talking about here. So see if you recognize yourself in some of these descriptions of the, the stages and the emotions that are common here. And the first one is denial. So denial is the first step in dealing with the death of your marriage. This is a psychological defense or a coping mechanism that comes into play. And that the whole purpose of it is to protect the mind and the emotions from being overwhelmed with pain. So at this stage, we're holding on to the hope that we'll wake up from this really bad dream at any moment and everything will be normal again. This is where we refuse to accept the reality of the end of the marriage. We're suppressing the facts out of our awareness. You know, you hear yourself saying, I can't believe this is happening. Or even this isn't happening. I've had people, yeah. it's just like, this isn't happening. This this is, it, it's a mistake. She's going through a midlife crisis. Like this, some, it's something else. Like this, I'm going to wake up from this where it's just full out denial. I need to protect my, my psyche from from the powerful blow that this is to me. Absolutely. You know, if you're broadsided, you know, by the your partner saying, I want a divorce, it can take time to let the reality of the situation sink in. You know, you're not going to sort of be able to take it in all at once. So even if you've initiated the divorce, you may also be in denial about how much you will be grieving after you start the process. So, you know, it's it's understandable that 
you know, people come to us and saying, oh, you're just in denial. Well, yeah, and that is there for a reason. It's there to protect us because it's uh, really challenging sometimes to deal with everything at once. So our psyche slows us down. It limits the amount of information that we can uh, take in at one time, and we uh, slowly open ourselves into the reality and move into the next stage. You know, and I think the other thing that's really important to note is when you're especially in this early stage of denial, you know, of course, you're expected to go on with your life, raise the kids, go to work, be productive. And I I liken to this stage to like having this huge database that's downloading in the back of your mind. And it's like, you might, you might have issues with memory. You might be totally off your game. I'm off my A game. I'm, I'm missing appointments. I'm forgetting what I'm going to say. And all of this makes so much sense because there is so much going on in our mind to just try and cope with this aspect of the grief process. You know, what you're saying is so important because you're right. So much of our mental, emotional energy is tied up in suppressing what we um, don't know or we don't want to know. So you're right. You're off your game. And, you know, it's, it's a difficult place to be in. And I'd just like to share a little bit of my own story because I was the person who initiated the divorce and, and I had a, a, a tough a tough marriage and a tough divorce. And so at the end of it, uh, I certainly didn't expect to be grieving. And yet after the whole contentious uh, process was over, I found myself sitting on the beach one day and just breaking out in, in sobs. And I was so surprised. And I found myself just sitting there rocking and without even consciously realizing it, this, this mantra was going through my head, which was, it wasn't supposed to be this way. It wasn't supposed to be this way. And I cried and I cried. And I, if anyone had said to me, you know, you still have to grieve, I would have been like, yeah, no, I am so done with this. And yet it hit me really hard. And it was such a critical turning point for me, too, because it really allowed me to release so much emotional tension that was built up and let it go. And um, and so even if you're the one initiating and you're feeling like this is going to be a better thing for me, that doesn't mean that you're not going to, you know, go through, go through these steps. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great example of you know what, what happens. What I've know. seen um, sometimes too is when people get in such a contentious divorce, uh, they actually circumvent the grieving process altogether. And like you guys are saying, it's so important to grieve. But when you can get yourself in a state of anger, so much anger, it's it's hard to grieve. Well, and you know, Steve, you're just a great segue right into the next stage, which is anger. You know, anger is part of our human nature, and to get angry, you know, when we've been deeply hurt is really normal. You know, we feel wronged, we feel betrayed. We're definitely into the blame game. You know, whose fault is this? You know, if only he or she would have changed, then you know. Uh, there's also this enormous need at this stage to be right. 
You know, and like you said, Steve, the divorce can really become a battlefield where war is waged and only one person will stand victorious at the end. That's really how we approach it from this stage. It's like it really can get ugly. You know, you're determined to win and your partner must lose. So uh, it's really normal. And, you know, even if you're not the person who wanted the divorce, you may hear yourself saying things like, it's not fair. I did everything I could to save this marriage. And I think it helps to, when you're looking at both how you're responding emotionally and how your soon-to-be ex is, that you're both going through a grieving process. And so, you know, why is she so angry right now? Or why is he not coping with this right now? And when we can be really in tune to the fact that I'm grieving, the other person's with the kids, like there's all, everyone's going through their own emotional process and that it's, it's all normal and it all makes sense and nobody's purposely, you know, manipulating or doing anything else. They're just coping the best way they know how. And I think that really gives us the opportunity to have a little bit more grace, a little bit more patience. Yeah. And it, it's, you're absolutely right. And I think it, it's helpful for people to understand that anger can be part of the grieving process. It can be anger at other people. It can also be anger at ourselves, you know, for what we did or didn't do, uh, quote unquote, right, you know. And the main thing is a lot of people are not comfortable with anger. You know, it's really common that it's going to come up. Well, and I think, I think you know, uh, the, the concept of people n- not being comfortable with emotions, when you're going through the grieving process with all the different stages we're about to talk about, there are going to be people who just, they, they shy away from you, they try to make it better, they, they try to minimize it, all, all more because of this real discomfort with dealing with powerful emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I have a client who, um, you know, she was just really not good at expressing anger. And it was interesting because she would come to share with me about how angry her family was. And her listening to, uh, you know, them really just going into these tirades about her ex and this and that, it was really uncomfortable for her. And it was interesting to step back from that and for her to see well, maybe they're expressing some of the anger that I'm really afraid to talk about. Yeah, that that's that's a really interesting um, experience for her to have. I actually have a client who had a slightly different one. She um, she had a spouse who was so angry. She had a spouse. She had a sister who was so angry at her spouse that the sister would, you know, be, be just going off and she found herself defending (laughs) her spouse who she was having a contentious relationship with. And that kind of like went into this whole other conversation about when you're going through this, you really need to be uh, very careful about choosing who you talk to when, right? And so it, it kind of brings up support networks. So if you're if you're um, 
if you're going through a difficult time and you have a family member who's really angry at your spouse, that you want to pick and choose when you speak to them. And so this particular client thought, okay, well, I love my sister, but she can't be on my A-team because while I'm angry at my spouse, I certainly can't be defending him to her. Like, that's just not working for me. And so there was this whole other level that she was dealing with. And we'll be back with more of the show after this. We're there right when you need us the most, and we make sure you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you between calls to be more effective. I was very fortunate to find Journey Beyond Divorce. I would go searching for any piece of information that could either A, give me more knowledge about the divorce process itself, or B, could talk me down emotionally. And I found that Journey Beyond Divorce was really instrumental in providing both things. One, the guidance of the divorce process itself, as well as talking about self-maintenance and what does the individual need to do to kind of cope with it. Let us help you gain a broader perspective and determine your best next steps with our free Rapid Relief Lifeline call. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call. In a bit, we're, we're going to talk about ways to express and release anger. So, uh, you know, we'll just be uh, moving on into the next stage right now, which is ambivalence or bargaining. You know, at this stage, this is where we start to, we try to figure out how to fix this broken relationship. We, we try to convince our spouse that they're making a huge mistake. You know, this is where we promise to change. And this is where we enter into murky, really confused territory because we're, we're really start trying to strike a bargain to fend off the inevitable. It's like if, okay, if I'm willing to initiate more in the bedroom, maybe she'll stay. You know, that you're acknowledging that the divorce is happening, that the breakdown of the relationship is the reality, but you're still trying to stop it. And you may be telling um, telling yourself and telling your spouse a story about why they're doing this. I had a client who uh, was really wanted to go through the door divorce with uh, a lot of grace and dignity, and and he had known for a while. And he, when he told his wife, one of the things that she did uh, after a couple of weeks was because first she was very much in denial, but then she started saying, you know, you're just going through a midlife crisis. You really, you, you know, you're really just being selfish. And she, so she started saying to him all these things like, what we just need to do is this. And, and what was really interesting about this situation was he was feeling incredibly manipulated and he mm. had gotten on the phone with me one one week and said, you know, that's it. I'm pulling off the gloves. And they had been having a really gentle, calm divorce. And he was in such reaction, seeing her ambivalence and bargaining, not as grieving at all, but as total manipulation. And when we began to explore how early she was in simply realizing this was happening and understanding the ramifications he was able to look at it and say, okay, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And let me step back. Let me have some patience. Let me give her a little bit of time to process and not react. And had he reacted, the divorce really had, could have gone 
in a much uglier and different direction. And they ended up actually managing very smoothly and with very little contention. And and his understanding of the pro- the grieving process was vital. Yeah, it sounds like it. Just you're helping him understand she wasn't doing this to him. This was just an expression of where she was, and that hit his ability to step back and understand that. That's huge. That's a huge, uh, and I acknowledge everybody for that. So yeah, and I think it's so important for our listeners to, you know, as you're listening, to really consider what's going on with you and what's going on with your spouse, and if you have children, especially adult children, because you begin to see their behavior and reactions through different eyes, eyes that allow you to have more grace, have more patience, and and that's really going to lead to uh, a better outcome for everybody. Yeah, and a lot more compassion for yourself and everybody else. So beautiful. So the next uh, stage that people uh, will be taken to is depression. And, you know, I like to think of this as this is where the sadness really comes in. This is when the denial, the anger, the bargaining, they haven't turned the tide on the divorce process. We're in the hurt. You know, we know that the end is coming and the feelings of sadness, anguish, despair. This is where it all comes flooding in. You know, our hearts ache. They feel broken. You know, this, this is where the loss of the relationship is really felt. You know, along with all those secondary losses of, you know, the role of a uh, husband or a wife, the status uh, in your community or in your um, uh, environment. Security, of course, is a big one. A loss of security is felt by uh, all parties often, you know, and often people feel uh, that they've lost even a sense of who they are, a sense of their meaning and purpose in life. You know, all those dreams you know, that you had together as a couple, you know, talking about, you know, retiring, moving to Florida, etc. you know, living a more carefree life with the children, to go, you know, it's like all of that is now gone. And I think the more that our identity is plugged into family, um, the more shattering that is, too. And so, uh, you know, we always talk about how divorce uh, brings is a transition on so many different fronts and when you get to this where it's really beginning to sink in that this is happening and oh my god like there's just so much loss on so many fronts that it's it's so important to just uh, allow it you know and to feel it and of course it's the last thing we want to do is feel that 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 heartbreak and that ache. And and we had a previous show on uh, the emotions and really sitting with them. And I think that this is just a good point in the show to say that the best thing that we can do is to, it might sound like an odd word, but honor what we're feeling because we're feeling it for a reason. And there's a saying, you have to feel it to heal it. And the more we we try and numb it or ignore it or push it away or put a stiff upper lip on, we're just uh, delaying what ultimately we're going to have to feel. Yeah, that is so true. And this is where people can get tend to get stuck because they're afraid of the crying. 
you know i've had many clients say they're afraid of the depth of this sadness if they if they even give in to it a little bit that it's just going to take over that they're just going to become a depressed person you know so they try to stuff it down they try to suppress it you repress it to just keep you know that stiff upper lip and keep soldiering on but inside there's a sense of emptiness uh, and there's often a sense of hopelessness that we'll never be happy again. Absolutely. I actually, I had a, a woman, she was a, a mother of five, a stay-at-home mom, and she would come and talk about what was going on. And there was just so much fear. She had all these kids to take care of. She hadn't been out in the workplace. She was worried about money. And yet, the minute her eyes would even begin to get wet she would grab a tissue dab it and like kind of just push it down and hold it in and you know we talked about that a lot and I said this is a safe place you can cry your eyes out here it's a good thing and and she said I am so afraid that if I stop crying I just won't stop and I'll just fall to pieces. And so it was like she was trying to hold it all together. And ultimately she she let it out and and it was the most medicinal healing thing that she could do for herself. And so if you're in that place right now and you're just trying to hold it all together, a safe place and a safe person and really just allowing it to be and it's it's releasing all this pent up energy that will will really help you move forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, your your example of being a safe person for her to cry with. There's something about crying with others to witness you and just to be there with you that can be so comforting. You know, they're not trying to fix you. They're not trying to make you stop crying to take care of them. You were taking care of her by just creating this very safe container for her to just be exactly where she was. And, you know, I tell my clients, just let it go. You know, let the waterworks go. You know, go for it like it's an Olympic sport. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just, you know, turn, instead of these little drips and drabs of tears, you know, turn the faucet on and just let it flow. And, and I, I was just going to say, I think that, you know, in our society, um, perhaps crying is a little bit easier for a woman than a man. And, you know, I just, I just want to acknowledge that it, it really doesn't matter what your gender is. The pain is excruciating and it's so important. Men, if you've never cried before, you know, really find that safe place and that safe person and, and let it out and it will it's the it's it's a very courageous and strong thing to do and it will really help move you along toward healing absolutely and absolutely cleansing. More. go ahead cleansing cleansing absolutely yes. you feel so much yeah. better when it's done absolutely and there's no shame in crying it's it's all good you know, none whatsoever. You're talking to a guy that cries at chick flicks, so you know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> it just says that you're in touch with your emotions. There you Steve. go. There you yeah. go. Yeah. So the and the last step that we talk about here is acceptance. 
You know, and acceptance, it, let's talk about it. it's very different from resignation, which is running up the white flag and saying, I give up. You know, resignation may be like the starting point to acceptance, but acceptance really, when you fully come into acceptance, it's the realization, you know, we're prepared to live our lives with the new reality that we are divorced and that we're going to be okay. You know, everybody's going to be okay. And this is where we start to see our part in the breakdown of the relationship. And we accept that both uh, ourselves and our partners have always been doing the best that we knew how to do in a very difficult situation. And so it's where peace can start to come forward. And, you know, there's now this beginning of the new normal. And we're ready to let go we're ready to adjust to our new circumstances and to move powerfully forward into our lives. And journey, the uh, acceptance part can be a journey in itself. It's like really wrapping yourself around, you know, mentally uh, the whole concept of acceptance and bringing your heart into a true sense of peace around everything that happened, what's going on for you right now and accepting that your future it can be just a beautiful expression of where you want to be going. Yeah, and I just, I want to just second that whole concept that, you know, even as you're describing it, I can imagine somebody who's not there yet going, yeah, no, <laughs> that's not happening. And, and you know, our our organization is called Journey Beyond Divorce because so so many of the steps are a journey and the first time that you touch acceptance you're just going to mentally have this moment of saying okay this is happening and you know i i, I can get through this like it's going to be and you're just going to touch it and then you're going to perhaps swing away from it and and then you'll visit it again and it'll be a little bit more certain and a little bit more it's kind of like earlier we talked about that that um slowly opening up uh the reality when you're in denial and acceptance in many ways is the same thing we slowly start touching on it first it's more of a cerebral thing and then and then it and then it becomes more of a heart-centered acceptance and it takes time it takes a different amount of time for each of us but it takes time and so know that once you touch it the first time the first time you feel some acceptance you've begun the journey of acceptance into that part of it and you're right this i think the whole thing if you contextualize it as a journey to acceptance a journey beyond the divorce it's a beautiful way to hold it because it's directional you know you know where you're aiming for and i want to say you brought up something that's important to say you know all these stages you know we talk about them i want to be really clear that this is not a linear process where you're going to march through each one in succession in succession this is really a a fluid process. So, you know, you may experience all of these emotions on top of each other. You may experience some of them and not all of them. Uh, it's like, say, you're on a tour of Europe, you know, and, you know, the stage, it's not like you're going from Europe and then you're going to go to England and then you're going to go to France and then you're going to go to Italy and then you're going to stay in Italy. 
This is more like, you know, you're going on the grand tour of Europe where you pass through one country after the next. You may go to Italy, then to France, then back to Italy, then to Greece, and then back to Italy. And then, you know, the, the destination is, you know, um, where it is. But you're going to go all around the map while you're getting used to the process of accepting and embracing your new life. And I think that's such an important point to make because so often people are like, why am I back here? I thought I was done with this. And, and you know, and with frustration with themselves and what they're feeling. And the truth of the matter is you're back there because there's still a little bit of work to be done there. There's still a little bit of healing there. And ultimately we all get through the process and we begin to live into acceptance more and more, but to just be gentle with yourself as you swing in and out of the various stages that, you know, that are part of the grieving process. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, grieving it means you're going to give yourself permission to grieve. You know, you're going to give yourself time to grieve. You're going to give yourself all the patience and the understanding, you know, while you're in this process. And, you know, like we said earlier, it means that you're going to grieve in your way, not the way that everybody else thinks you should grieve. You know, the key is really making yourself available to your process. And... I think for most of us, uh, we we weren't raised with uh, an understanding and a sensitivity and an honoring of the grieving process. We weren't necessarily conditioned by our families or culture or society uh, to deal with grief. And so I know for myself, this was this was like all new territory. You know, this wasn't something I was taught in my family of origin. And so, you know. It really, it's something that we have to learn and and um, and be gentle with ourselves around. Yeah, that is totally totally true. And we're going to talk about next. You know, what does it mean to grieve well? You know, it's like we're all conditioned by our families, our culture, our society to deal with grief in really socially acceptable ways. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Most of these ways are designed to help others deal with you while you're grieving. So, you know, it's it's the, the rules that we learn by watching our parents, watching our siblings, watching people around us grieve uh, big losses in their lives. So a lot of this is not, these aren't rules that we're taught, you know, in school. They are, we are assimilate these rules just by watching what other people do. And I'm going to tell you most of these are not helpful. You know, and so we're going to talk about a few of the rules of grief that uh, you may have learned in the process of your life and that we encourage you to actually consciously examine and set aside. So I'm going to dive into the first rule. Rule number one is don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. So it's like a variation of this is pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get over it. You know, so we tend to view sadness as a weakness. And if you share your sadness in front of other people, they they seem to feel an immediate need to tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't feel that way. Like, you know, I'm sure you've heard this. Don't feel bad. You're better off without him. So you start to feel like, you know, like your feelings are wrong. And, of course, it's understandable that you'd feel sad. You're grieving. So it's okay to feel sad. And when people try to fix you, 
just recognize they're just doing what they're taught. They're trying to, to fix this. So you'll feel better and they'll feel better and everybody can move on. Yeah, and I think that's what it brings us back to your support network, you know, because when you can find people who are um, emotionally uh, able to just hold that space for you as you're going through some of those difficult stages, those are the people you lean on. And the other people who love you dearly, who, um, who, who you might feel are devaluing or diminishing what what emotions you're going through, you just, you pick and choose when you engage with different people. And that's another just conscious step in terms of creating support that works for you. Yeah, Karen, that's absolutely true. And it brings us up to rule number two, which is you should grieve alone. You know, so most of us are are taught to really keep our messy emotions to ourselves. You know, it's like, this is where you have that stiff upper lip, you know, that bright, brave front, you know, that you put up for others and you do your crying alone at home into your pillow. You know, this is where you say, I'm fine. You know, when people ask you, how are you doing? I'm fine. You know, and the the message that uh, really gets perpetrated through this is nobody wants to hear about you and your problems. So you keep it to yourself. So it's holding it all together. It's stuffing your feelings until you can be by yourself and then do your crying you know, by uh, alone. Again, these are the rules you're putting aside. Putting aside, because this is, uh, as you were saying, Karen, you know, we don't have to do this alone. We, you know, our tears are not uh, something that we should feel ashamed about. This is something that's a normal reaction to feeling the loss of your marriage. And then the the next rule is you need to be strong for others. So it's like you hear this all all the time. I need to be strong for the kids. I don't want them to see, you know, how I'm feeling. You know, and here's the thing. Your kids know you're struggling. You may want to consider the underlying message that you're sending to them. If they ask you what's wrong, mom, and you say nothing, you know, because they know instinctively that you're not being honest. And... You know, these are some of the building blocks for shame, you know, in children because their reality collides with what you're telling them. I I um I couldn't agree with that more. I have I have two different um points I want to make on this. One is I I was uh, 14 when my parents uh split and my mom never shed a tear you know she she seemed sad sometimes she seemed angry a lot of times but she never once cried and there was this sense you know we were all we were confused we were sad and yet there was this this huge confusion because this was such a big thing going on and and it was almost as if mom didn't have a human side. Like it was really interesting. And then with my kids, I I would cry. I would tell them I was sad. I would, you know, invite them to cry. And, and of course, there's a very big different thing between crying in front of your children and crying on their laps and having them console you. That's, that's not appropriate, but, but to show up and, and be able to say, this is a really tough time for everyone. And it, it's, it's okay to cry and it's okay to feel sad and, and it's okay to have all of these different emotions. That's really teaching them some 
incredibly valuable behaviors around grieving well and you know all of that we're talking about life is just it's just a series of small deaths right whether you're it's the, the the divorce or the death of a loved one is a big one but but um losing a pet you know losing a friend uh or moving away or changing schools i mean there's so or losing a job there's so many deaths and when we take this opportunity to feel our feelings and teach our children to do the same we're really giving everyone a big gift absolutely because you know if, if you're not being congruent you know with your children you are doing them a disservice so you're just, like you said, you're just better off to let them know you're not okay right now, but I will be. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like you're reassuring them too because they need to know that you're going to be okay so, you know, they can be taken care of. You know, so that's, uh, you know, you don't need to be strong for others and if that means, you know, uh, putting a lid on or uh, being dishonest about how you feel. And so that brings us to rule number four, and this one we see quite often. And the rule is replace the loss as soon as possible. And, you know, this is a mistake I see a lot of divorced people making. They're looking to replace that partner, you know, even before they've had time to, you know, let the ink dry on the judgment. You know, they're, they're out there dating, they're putting themselves out there, and they haven't really even sort of taken the time to slow down, to do their grief work, to uh, actually truly recover you know, their sense of who they are and what they want in a partner before embarking on the next one. And this is just another way that we distance ourselves from the pain. You know, it's like, it's, uh, you know, the pain of transitioning from the we to the me, it's, it's so tempting to bypass all that. You know, and just set your sights on finding a, a new way to be a, a we again. You know, uh, so... Give yourself time to harvest the learnings about your part in the marriage breakdown and, you know, resist the urge to get married again so soon, you know, because when you're doing that, you're often just recreating the same problems over and over again. And we see that. We see that in just the the statistics of, um, you know, second marriages have an even higher rate of divorce than first. And I truly believe that it's it's that f- finding that fast forward button and moving forward and finding someone else. And you end up finding the same person in a different body. And after the honeymoon, you're experiencing the same issues. And when you take the time to grieve well, feel your feelings. And Carrie, you said it beautifully to really notice and own your part in the dissolution of the marriage then you're in a healthier position to move forward and find a new companion absolutely absolutely and then our fifth rule that i'm just going to talk about is it's all about timing you know you hear people say uh you know uh, you should be over this by now you know you're not over that it's been a year it's been two years you know whatever it is you know, it's kind of a variation on time heals all, all wounds, you know, which is another platitude that people, you know, like to, to say, you know, because who's, who is it to say, really? So let's go to rule number five. And this is where it talks about timing. This is the one where you probably heard, you should be over this by now. 
You know, uh, you start to talk about your experience and somebody says, what, you're still not over that? It's been a year. You know, it's like there's something wrong with you. You know, and, you know, who's to say, really, that we've had enough time to heal? We definitely live in a fix-it society that tends to be looking for quick solutions for our problems. And I'm going to just tell you there's no timeline for being over it. You know, when they say that, they don't understand your loss. They're judging it by their experience, maybe something that they went through in the past. And, you know, it's just not the same. They're not your shoes. They're not living your life and dealing with the grief that you're dealing with. So there is no time limit. So, you know, following these rules, you know, that have been handed down, are just a few of the ways to not grieve well. And we're really, the, the, the main thrust of today's show is that when we mourn, we're attending to the emotional experience of loss and that divorce is absolutely a loss uh, on sometimes numerous different fronts and to, to respect it, to um, to give it the time, the space, uh, the compassion, the gentle kindness, to create the support team that is going to uh, to help carry you through this, to allow yourself to cry, to ensure that you feel your feelings so that you can move through them. All of that. And, and that this is just a key part of it, while all of the other external things with, you know, the legal and the financial and the real estate are going on, this is the storm that's going on inside, and to just um, be aware and give it its, its due. Yes. And, you know, you talked about the word mourning. I want to talk about the difference between mourning and grieving, Because mourning is really attending to the emotional experience of the loss. And it's expressing on the inside the grief that you feel on. It's expressing on the outside the grief that you feel on the inside. And the intention really is of healing. So this is an active process. It's not a passive one where you're just waiting for the passing of time. This is, uh, you know, I like to call it where we're applying love to the parts inside of us where we're hurting. And healing, you know, the, it comes from the root of the word halen, which is wholeness. So healing, I like to think of it as we're, we are restoring ourselves to our wholeness. And, you know, this is a choice, you know, to, to mourn, to do that active work in, in support of healing yourself. It's a choice that only you can choose to make when you're ready to do that. And so how do you choose to grieve well, well to heal? And at the end of each of our shows, we offer uh, practice and tools. And so the practice here is giving yourself permission to feel, to mourn, to rest, And to find a new normal. And so step one is to slow down, to resist the urge to try to speed up through all of these uncomfortable feelings of anger and fear and sadness. Um, And to give up the urge to resist or avoid or stuff or numb. 
um, to really take a mindful approach, to really uh, pay attention and tune into what's going on inside in your heart. And and step two is uh, to pay attention to you, your thoughts, your feeling, and your process for healing. Uh, when you allow yourself to feel your feelings and to express them and to release them, then you'll have more clarity about how to move forward in your life. If you leave your ex out of it um, and don't worry about what he should be feeling or doing, you leave that alone and you just attend to yourself. So that's step one, the practice of, of grieving by slowing down and paying attention to what's going on with you. Yeah. And then I'm going to introduce a tool uh, to all of you. This is uh, one that I use with my clients who are grieving as a way of setting up a, spa- a safe space for them to journal and access their feelings. So this is called freeform writing. It's a, it's a journaling process. And like I said, it, it's creating a container to, uh, and a, a space for you to access your feelings, give them a name, express, and release them. And this is in service to freeing up the energy that's stuck there. So as we shared in step two of the Divorce Recovery Program, feelings are the emotional energy that our thoughts ride on. So if we have a thought, we have a feeling to match it. And then if we keep that energy bottled up, it's going to be harmful. It's either going to come out in an exaggerated form when you least expect it, uh, or it can go into our tissue cells and become disease. So this freeform writing process is really fairly simple. You know, first you find a place where you can just close the door and not be disturbed. This is a, you need total privacy for this. It's a solo process. And this is a writing process where you're going to write about what comes to your mind. You're going to write as quickly as possible. And you're not going to write in complete sen- sentences. You're just going to keep the pen moving to match the speed of your thoughts. So you're going to do this. It's not going to make sense. You're going to write a word here and then another word there. And, you know, you want to do this process longhand and not on the computer. And I'll talk to you in a minute about why that's important. So as I was saying, you keep writing and as emotions surface, which they will, just keep writing. So if it's anger, just keep scribbling. If it's sadness, you know, keep crying and keep writing through your tears. You know, so your thoughts, the energy is going to come up through the arm. It's going to bring up the emotions. And when the emotional energy is translated through your arm, through your thoughts, through the arm, onto the paper, uh, you're going to be, that's the mechanism for releasing it. And when the emotional energy has been expended, when it's done, you'll know. You'll know you're done. It's like you'll have a sense of release, a sense of relief. And so when you're done, you're going to take these pages and you're either going to shred them immediately or burn them. And this is really important. Don't read them. You don't want to put this stuff back in that you've just released. You're basically vomited on the page. So you want to get rid of this. And certainly don't leave these pages around for somebody else to find or read. Because I'm going to tell you, there's nothing off limits here. You can say anything that you need to say on this paper because you know immediately you're going to get rid of this. So burn the pages. Uh, and this is the, a part of the release process. You know, after 
going doing this, you know, I do this as a practice. Uh, I still do it. Um, I wouldn't say every day, but when uh, strong emotions are coming up for me that I need to work through and release, I will definitely do this. And when I am done with the pages, I wad them up. I put them in a little, I have a, a little fire pit outside on my uh, deck. And when I see those pages going up in smoke, it's like really offering them up, offering those emotions, all of that energy that I've just released, I can see it uh, just going up into smoke. And so, uh, you know, after doing this, just be aware you're going to be in a tender place. So I recommend also spending a little quiet time with yourself. And this is just to reflect, just to be with yourself, to flood yourself with that loving that I was telling you about. You might want to do some forgiveness work. You might want to do some affirmation work, meditation, anything that uh, puts loving back in to the places that you've released is a really good thing to do. You don't want to be like getting on the phone uh, right after or trying to do some business right after. And how often do you do this? You know, I encourage my clients to do this process at least once a week uh, when they're in the beginning stages, when there's a lot of emotional content coming forward. And I also recommend that they spend as much time as possible. You know, you you may need 20 minutes. You may need an hour. You're not going to want to do more than an hour because it's a little exhausting. So, you know, doing freeform writing does two things for you. First, you're giving yourself a safe way to express yourself. You can say anything on these pages that's not for anybody else to read. And you're also giving yourself the message, I'm here for myself. I'm creating a space and a time and a place and a way for me to express what I need to say. So, you know, when I do my freeform writing, I put a sign on the door and I tell people, everybody in my household knows, when that is going on, don't come in the room because they're going to hear crying. They're going to hear maybe some, you know, a lot of noise coming from me because I'm releasing. And, you know, just tell them that they don't need to get alarmed. They don't need to think you need to rush in and, and help them. Just, uh you don't need to be helped. You don't need to be saved from this. You're just working a process and you're going to be fine. So just letting people know that it's to be expected. That's such an incredibly powerful tool and something that, you know, people can do no matter where they are. And I would imagine as you go through it, Carrie, that you start feeling that release to that lightness as you begin to move through this practice as you do it on an ongoing basis. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, an, another practice that we really invite our clients into is just self-care. Uh, just like the freeform writing is a, a, a way of taking care of yourself emotionally, grieving, um, is exhausting. Uh, our bodies and our minds, um, you know, really, they need uh, enough sleep, uh, nutritious food, exercise, uh, fresh air. And so we really encourage you to make part of your practice taking care of yourself physically and mentally as well. Um, and it it means that you're watching what you put into your consciousness on a, on a mental level. Uh, is it negative or positive? It always amazes me what, 
what we can be exposed to and watch on television or the songs that we choose to listen to when our heart is broken. And so reading uplifting material, being more conscious and discerning about the the television programs that you choose to watch, watching things that inspire you, doing things that that get your creative juices flowing, whether it's, you know, gardening or cooking or artwork or um, so, so both on a physical level with nutrition and, and physical um, fitness or, or outdoors um, activities and then the mental to really take care of yourself on all of those levels as well as the emotional that we've just talked about throughout the program. Absolutely. And, you know, reaching out for support is also such an important component of grieving well. You know, it's so important to find supportive network of friends, of professionals, you know, uh, family members when that uh, is also available to you. And, you know, I have to say a coaching is really helpful for supporting yourself through this extremely uh, difficult time. You know, you can't always rely on your family to be the most supportive because, you know, they're going to have their own agenda. And, you know, not to mean that that's a bad thing. It's just, you know, they they might need you to be okay. They might need you to shut down from being where you are. So your coach, if you're sitting with a coach, they have no agenda. They have no judgments about where you are. You know, they, they are just there and that time is focused on you to get what you need. And honestly, I wish I'd had a coach when I went through my divorce um, you know, because it would have made the process so much easier and uh, so much more supportive. So I can't stress enough what uh, a strong container of support uh, can do for you uh, when you're going through such a difficult time. And the main point that we want to stress here is, you know, you don't have to do this work alone. No, You don't have to do it alone. And ladies, for some of our new listeners, uh, this is a series we're doing right now, the 12-part uh, Divorce Recovery Program. I want them to know that if they picked up at this show, you can go back and start from the beginning in our archive on DivorceHorseRadio.com. You can also find the programs at JourneyBeyondDivorce.com. But uh, go back and start from the beginning if you like, or if you just want to listen to this program over again, you can do that. Karen, I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, one is I'd like you to tell us about a program that you have, the Divorce Recovery Program. Thanks, Steve. We, we are so excited about this program that's helped so many clients. Our Divorce Recovery Program um, is a way in which we create something that's totally custom and personalized to each individual. And what I mean by that is it's, it's, an, it's an emotional roadmap. And what we do is through a series of questions on an online assessment, we work with you to understand exactly where you're triggered, what triggers you, what your reactions are, what causes the contention and upset while you're going through divorce. And once we become crystal clear on that, we can help, um, we, we create this roadmap, this, this 
personalized plan that helps you be aware of your trigger, aware of your reaction, and have some options to begin to shift and change the way that you react in in conversations, in arguments, when upsetting circumstances come around. And so, um, it, it's a wonderful program. You can find out about it on the homepage of Journey Beyond Divorce, and you can sign up to get more information and speak to one of our coaches. And we highly encourage it. It's actually the only program out there where you're getting something, not general information, but something very customized and personalized to your situation and your way of reacting in these difficult times. Right. Very good program. I've heard great things about it. Also, when you're on journeybeyonddivorce.com, you can find all kinds of articles out there on that website, as well as the book, Stepping Out of Chaos, Transforming Pain to Possibility, the ebook. You can pick that up on journeybeyonddivorce.com as well. And uh, one more thing, you have a private Facebook community, which I love because all of us are familiar with our normal Facebook page where everyone can get on and see and who wants them to see us going through divorce. But talk to us about the Mm -hmm. private Facebook. So it's a closed uh, group. And so all you have to do is ask to be invited in. And we've got hundreds of men and women in all stages. We've got people who are in the early stage and just feeling isolated and not understood. And so they're coming on and talking about their circumstance and people who've been in the process a little bit longer are stepping up and encouraging and supporting and and you know sharing things that have worked for them and so if you're going through divorce and you're feeling like you know all my friends are married nobody understands the ones who do are tired of listening to me Go to Journey Beyond Divorce Community. That's the name of the closed group. And ask to be invited in. Uh, We'll ask you a quick question and invite you in. And you will have access to, you know, they're calling themselves like, we're your tribe. It's like this group of people who totally get what you're going through right now and really have a big heart to support you through it. So that starts with Facebook.com slash... Journey Beyond Divorce Community. There you go. And that's how you get there. And uh, so we have step six coming up. What is step six, Karen? So step six is about moving from our judgment, right? Because we judge so many things to curiosity. So the next step is we, we address two different things. One is how often we keep our eyes on the past, on the rear view mirror instead of the front windshield in terms of moving forward and how that's so intertwined with how we judge things as good and bad, right and wrong. And this show is really inviting everybody into uh, the practice of curiosity and how that opens up so many possibilities. So we really uh, encourage you to join us on the next show, Step 6. All right. Karen McMahon, Carrie Douts, thank you so much for doing another amazing show for us. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Steve. It's been great to be here. And to our listeners, you can follow us on all sorts of platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, as well as DivorceHorseRadio.com and JourneyBeyondDivorce.com. I look forward to hearing from you ladies next time. Thanks, everyone. 
At Journey Beyond Divorce, we know that sometimes the most powerful support we can offer is to help you process the storm of emotions you're experiencing and gently challenge the beliefs that are keeping you stuck. The way Karen delivers her program is that she validates the feelings, the emotions, the ups, the downs. She hones in on the specifics that really talk to that particular person when they're going through this crazy emotional time. Let us be a beacon in the midst of this crazy emotional time. Book a free lifeline call with us to help lift the fog and begin practicing new ways of thinking, being, and doing that better support you as you journey through and beyond divorce. Our gift to you is taking that first step with you on your free Rapid Relief Lifeline call, where we help you navigate the emotional and logistical turbulence of separation and divorce. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call.